Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Genesis, beginning with the first chapter. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome, and it was so. God called the dome sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bears fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the 
the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, in all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. Will you pray with me? O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a book called Flatland, which is a fictional memoir written from the first-person point of view of a square. I don't mean a kind of social outcast, but literally a square. The narrator slash fictional author is a geometric shape that lives in a two-dimensional world called Flatland. As riveting as this sounds, I would like to ask that you please refrain from immediately going online to purchase your copy of Flatland until at least the end of the sermon. The narrator is a square. The memoir is his attempt to describe how it came to be that he was given an opportunity to visit both a one-dimensional world, Lineland, a three-dimensional world, Shapeland, and a zero-dimensional world, Pointland. To give you an idea of what it's like to read a memoir written from the point of view of a square, consider this passage. The context is that square has been lifted up out of Flatland by a sphere who has become his guide to the world of the third dimension, a geometrical Virgil, if you will. Now, says the sphere, I must introduce you to solids and reveal to you the plan upon which they are constructed. Behold this multitude of movable square cards. See, I put one on another, now a second, now a third. See, I am building up a solid by a multitude of squares parallel to one another. Now the solid is complete, being as high as it is long and broad, and we call it a cube. Fascinating stuff, right? Again, please hold off on your purchase just a little longer. Throughout this narrative, as Square comes to understand worlds that he could previously not have imagined, he continues to ask, and he finally comprehends the answer to a single repeated question. What is this? What is this world? What is a world that I haven't seen before? In each new land, he is faced with the same difficult, challenging question. What in the world is all of this? That question is not just known to geometric shapes who live and breathe in a world of their own. It's a question known well to all of us. At some point in our lives, we found ourselves looking around and asking, What is all of this? Maybe you've been awestruck looking up at the stars on a clear night. Or you've been speechless staring into the depths of the Grand Canyon. Or maybe these questions came as a result of a rapid change in your own life. As a child, you've attended a new school. 
you got a new job and moved to a new city. The world around us can be, at times, bewildering. What is all of this? The questions of what all this are are taken up in Scripture quite literally from the beginning. The creation story provides an answer to that important and most interesting question. What is all of this, we ask? The beginning of Genesis provides at least four answers. First, all of creation is the handiwork of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In six days, God created all that is, including us. He put stars in the sky, birds in the air. God created night and day, separated darkness from light and sea from land, plants, animals, human beings, all that we see, even all that we cannot see, is here because God spoke it into existence from the very beginning. A second answer provided is that while all that is is God's work, it's also work in which we are invited to participate. Humans till the ground and help to produce its fruit. We tend the earth, we take care of it, we procreate, we join with God in benefiting from all that the world has to offer and from the harvest that is there. We read in Genesis 2 that God gives man the task of continuing to figure out just what all of this is. We read that Adam was tasked with naming all of the creatures. What is that thing? Adam asked, and he provides an answer. That we will call a turtle. That we call a zebra. That we will call a bird. And I wonder if at some point Adam saw his reflection in the water and asked, What God is that? That, God would have replied, is my crowning creation my most beloved creation. That, God tells us, is what I love, what I will give my life for, even when it turns its back on me, when it runs away from me, when it fails to keep my commandments, when it fails to see how near I am to it. That, Adam, you do not have to name. I've already done it for you. That is you. This, then, is the third answer that the creation story provides for us. Not only was God pleased with having made humans, but God was pleased with all of creation. At the end of each day, God looked upon all that he had created and he proclaimed, it is good. God finished work on the sixth day and proclaimed, it is very good. So what is all of this, we ask? It is good, God says. It is very good. I wonder then, If the creation story does such a wonderful job answering these most important questions, have we come to an end? God made the world. God made you and me, and it's good. That sums it up, right? We have it all figured out. Have a great day. You can place your order online now. This would be the end. If it were not for the fact that as soon as we step out into our day, we find that these answers don't quite match up with the world we've stepped into. Stepping into the world can present a challenge to our neatly packaged answers, causing us to follow up with new and more challenging questions. I know that God made this world, we might say. But what about all the natural disasters and famines, global strife? Where is God to be found in this? I know that God has called me to be a worker in the ongoing aspects of creation, 
but after all these years, I'm still searching for somewhere I can be useful in a meaningful way. What am I supposed to do in this world? I know that God created this world and called it good, but have you seen the news lately? It's all virus and violence and fear and despair. Is this all there is? Were this really all there is, we may well have landed on some very difficult questions. However, to read the creation story is to read only the first chapter of a book, the first act of a play. There's more to the story. This more to the story involves a long history of a people called Israel who God called out to be a nation who would reveal God to the world. It involves prophets who speak to the people of God, reminding them that God still cares for them and he still cares that they keep his commandments. It involves God affirming that no matter how bad this place seems to be, it's good enough to leave his throne, to take on flesh, to dwell among us. It's a story of God becoming man in Jesus who then called disciples out of ordinary lives to come and follow him. It's a story that involves Jesus dying on a cross for us, only to be raised three days later, conquering death and forever affirming that all that is, is still good. All that is, is still worth redeeming. The fourth answer the creation story provides is that this is not just about what it was like in the beginning. This story tells us quite a lot about what God's creation will be like in the end as well. This story reminds us of what is most fundamental about the truth of God's creation. It was created to be, at its very essence, good. This was the beginning, and although through the actions of mankind, sin and brokenness entered the world, God has always been at work, restoring and redeeming creation to eventually end up back in that perfect and good state. And because of God's grace, we remain a part of that story, you and me this church, this city. We are all part of a story where God is constantly at work to offer us the grace we need to become the good creation that God intends. And we need that grace because, try as we might, our own striving and effort will not get us very close. On our own, we do not get far. We do not accomplish much that looks like a good future. We're too prone to our own interests, to our own shortcomings, to our own limitations, Without God, we're left with a possibility that has little resemblance of restoration. And yet, if anyone is in Christ, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, I am making all things new. This is the higher perspective that Christ calls us out to see. We don't simply look around at the world and accept that this is all there is. That we would call despair. Nor do we put on blinders and pretend that everything's okay. That we would call naive optimism. Instead, we see this world with its blemishes, with its shortcomings, and we still believe that God is at work bringing about a new creation. That we call hope. Hope that God's victory gets the final word, not death, not disease, not a lost job, not a broken relationship. Hope says that while it may yet be dark, the dawn is breaking in. The light of Christ will always shine forth. As a result, we find ourselves tasked with asking new questions about life and about creation. No longer do we simply ask, 
what is this? Rather, we wonder, where is God in this? What is God up to today? Where is God calling me to go? Where is God calling you? Who is God calling you to reach out to? Yes, there is a broken world out there filled with challenges, filled with struggles, but there is also a God out there working to bring about a new creation. It's happening all around us. We just need the eyes to see it. We just need the ears to hear it. I've noticed recently there are signs around town in many people's yards, small, simple signs that say, see the good. I've learned that a local company and nonprofit in town is trying to get this phrase to catch on quite successfully. And it's a perfect reminder that in the midst of a great challenge, there is always an opportunity to have a different view of the world around us. It's even more of a particular witness of the church to help share the good news of the gospel that there's always more to our world than we may initially see. We are the ones God invites to go and to tell others that there's more to the story, always a reason to hope, not because we're ignoring present difficulties, but because we know they will not have the final word. Our witness is to the place where the story ends, to redemption, to resurrection, to the restoration of the goodness that God created this world to be. I see that good work when I drive past a local church who's using their parking lot to hand out food to those who are in need in our community. And each morning it's filled with smiling volunteers who've gotten up early to help. I see that good work when I meet a mother and a daughter in a nearby city who've sewn and donated thousands of cloth masks to nurses and to first responders in the community so they'll always have plenty. I've seen that good work when I visit with an older friend who's in his 80s and he shares stories about his decades-long work in a local orphanage, teaching the children there about the joy of writing their own poetry. I see that good work when in ways large and small people are getting up and responding every day to the invitation to make this world look like the good creation God intended and that God is always working to restore through his grace and through our actions. Friends, as Christians, we are called to be people who are filled with hope because we know how the story of creation ends. We have to give up trying to make things right by our own efforts and put our trust in a God who is active and at work, moving and shaping and redeeming and resurrecting life in all of creation every day. And if it becomes difficult to see that road, difficult to articulate how that story will unfold, good news. You're not alone. There are groups of faithful believers like this church and so many others in our community who are filled with people who, imperfect as we may be, can serve as a guide for us, reminding us of the promises of God. There are saints among us who may, like the sphere who led and guided the square, remind us that there's always more beyond what we can see before us. And make no mistake. We are not promised that this road along which we may be guided will always be smooth for our traveling. But we are promised that when we look around and wonder what all of this is, we will hear the voice of God saying to us, I'm here with you. I created this. I created you. I have your ultimate good in store if you will just trust me. How then might you respond to these promises 
from God this week? Where can you bear witness to God's goodness? Where might we give up our own efforts and instead ask, where is the Holy Spirit at work? And go there instead. Or where might we simply need to stop and be still and to hear God whisper to you, I see the good in you. Because God invites us each and every day to stay hopeful, to trust in his plan for you and for all of creation. And believe me, that plan, it's a good one.